Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the ATL Alts Podcast. This is your host, Andres Sindate. I am really excited to bring back a guest from an early episode in the ATL Alts archives, Jason Joseph, managing partner and CEO of Trilogy Investment Company, is my guest today. And this is his second rodeo. So I'm hoping that means that I'm doing something right. Uh, Jason is going to give us an update on the build for rent uh, business. A lot has happened in that uh, vertical. I think it's really interesting in light of what's happened uh, in the macro with interest rates, what's happened with broader uh, trends and uh, events in commercial real estate. So uh, reconnecting with Jason to get an update on Trilogy and all the things that are happening at his organization. I'm going to let him tell you all about that here momentarily. But with that, I just want to welcome you back, Jason, to ATL Alts. Great to be here. Great to be here, Andres. Thank you so much. Um, no. like yeah, yeah. Past, but good to be back. It is a blast from the past. I know we um, we spent a long time talking about your backstory on the first show, so I'd invite my guests to go back and, and listen to that. You had a lot to say about leadership and coaching and raising kids, and my kids are now two or three years older. So <laughs> a lot right. of the things you said in that show, I think I'm going to go back and listen to. But <laughs> But let's jump in and talk about um, about Trilogy. Why don't you uh, spend the first part of the show sure. giving an update about the organization, Trilogy, what, what your platform consists of, and what uh, you guys are ex- executing against? Sure. Thanks. And so just, just to recap, Trilogy uh, Investment Company, we are a full-service BTR platform. So um, what is Build to Rent? Uh, we are not multifamily. Um, we are not scattered site, single family rentals. Um, we are purpose built neighborhoods of homes, townhome, single family detached or other, um, specifically designed for the renter in mind. Um, so what's interesting, uh, when we um, came together um, in fourth quarter of 2021, I had recently launched the company um, in April of that year. Um, and began um, a really interesting journey, let's call it, yeah. <laughs> of, of hyperbolic growth, but really trying to set the strategy for for what Built to Rent was evolving into. So just a few years old, the institutional capital markets began allocating, the debt markets agency as well began recognizing um, the asset class. And so what we originally had set out for was, one was to build team um, to execute, and two was to find the right location, zone it, and title it, permit it, and get it ready for build. And through that, we felt that the institutional limited partner market would have given us an opportunity to do programmatic JV equity. And at the time that we did the podcast, we were right in the throes of entering into that 2022 space of now what? And so it's weird over the last two years. Um, um, what has happened is we maintain growth. Um, we have been through a lot in 2022. Uh, we obviously saw the rates begin to move in May of that year, um, saw the continued rate movement through the end of the year. And so I always kind of break the year up into two, two periods between 22 and 23, um, where 22 was about growth. It was about building team. It was about building process. It was about understanding our renter profile understanding our product mix by market, um, and understanding how to be a great developer, um, how to identify land, how to do it right, how to build it right, et cetera. And so we did that. We went on a tear in 22. Um, When you look at the end of 21 to the end of 23, 
We went from six employees at the end of 21 to 28 at the end of 23. We went from six land holdings in 21 to 32 land positions at the end of 23. We went from a few hundred lots in 21 to 3,000 lots at the end of 23. So all of that sounds great, um, and it is great, and we've done a lot of really great things, and and nothing happens without the team um, that's been built. But when the rates did move, we also encountered what everyone else encountered in our spot, which is we went on to defense. So I always say defense wins championships. Um, and through that, um, it was, it was literally, it was a blessing. If honestly, it was, a, it was, a, it was like a curse and a blessing at the same time where we ramped up, we had institutional capital that had committed. Um, and like many of us, that institutional capital had to pull back because of the unknown of what was happening in the markets on race. So um, when that happened at the end of uh, 22, um, and pivoting into 23 with all this growth and all this excitement of what was going on, all of a sudden we were left with not options on dirt, but we were left with a lot of land positions um, and had to really go back to our roots of understanding uh, what we had bought, um, why we had bought it, were we selecting the right product, and how do we ultimately restructure and value engineer these deals to where the market would accept them to get them going and ultimately realize you know, what our business plan and strategy is, which is to build these communities. Yeah. Well, I have been told I have a decent memory, but I I don't have uh, enough of a memory to be able to even go back to some of the things you said. There were some great nuggets in there, but I'm going to (laughs) try. Okay. And and this is an audio only podcast, so I I won't make the, the, the joke that, you know, the, the last two or three years of all that you've been through has aged you. Um, you still look good. You still look good. You still sound much good. Great. But let's let let's talk about this from the standpoint. First, I want to ask you from the from the investment management, uh, asset management side of things. So we we have listeners of the ATL podcast that are investors and allocators, um, but we also have people that are building, like you, building yep. an organization, running an investment management firm, or at least aspire to. And we were talking about this before we got on. You know, the manager will say, I want to go run a fund. I want to have my yep. own fund. There are so many things you said there before about building the team, processes, operations, a lot of the things you invested in heavily in 22. Yes. Having that JV partnership, knowing, mm-hmm. okay, we've got capital now to go execute. And then things change. Right. So let's just talk about you as the head of this organization, your team's quadrupled. Mm-hmm. A lot of good things probably come with all these great people, but <laughs> but but also challenges, right? Integration, culture, getting people in the right seats. Yeah. Um, Bob Green, who runs the NAIC, um, says there's three things you do as an investment manager, especially early in your life. One, you hunt for deals and do deals. Two, you raise capital and you know, are always in that capital formation mode. And three, you build your team. Hmm. So what I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about for the investment manager audience is sure. what's the last few years been like taking back the pro take out the product, take out the strategy. We're going to get into trends and why yeah. this space is still attractive, but just what have been some of the lessons learned? Cause I'd, I'd love to sh- share that selfishly with the audience. Yeah. Things you didn't well, it's know. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I would start at number three. Um, I actually think uh, when I when I when I started Trilogy, the number one thing that I knew over the previous twenty years that prohibited growth, prohibited um, the our ability to to maneuver 
in tough times. It's, it's interesting when they say that in the good times, it's really hard to fail. In the bad times, how do you continue to succeed? And so, and, you know, who do you want to be in the foxhole with? And so uh, my focus starting the company was every step of the way uh, was team and culture. So, so when you, when you look at culture, successful teams um, ultimately are done by um, every single person on the team is actually responsible for some form of leadership. So I always promote everyone in the organization, top, down, left, right, is ultimately a leader in one way or another. So how do you take responsibility and leadership for, for that? So to your point about quadrupling the team, I knew that, uh, which goes to your second point about raising capital, is that. Everyone always dreams of being an investment manager, having a fund, a series of funds, being successful and knowing that. Um, and outside of having a great strategy, um, the hardest part that I had on a previous two companies ago of raising my first institutional capital was they kept saying, OK, you guys have a great strategy, but it's three of you and you want to buy assets all over the country. How are you going to execute? And so then it was like, OK, I want to take as many things off the table in a tough environment, which is I have a great team. And now I'm going to go out and raise capital. And through that process, um, I encourage um, the capital to actually interview my team mm-hmm. and to see yeah. not just what the team was, but the staffing plan and how are we going to go from Georgia to Arizona and every state in between. Um, and that to me was was one of the the most critical components was team in order to get to capital and in order to get to the right deals. It started actually with our team. Okay, that's great. Uh Let's talk about the evolution of the market and and specifically your area, like of of the the market in terms yep. of housing. I recall that last conversation. You know, there was a lot of great data and insights for people that want to go back and listen. Um, but I'd love for you to talk about the market trends that are driving continued interest. Sure. For it, this product and for for the build for rent community. It's a great, great question. I could be long-winded about it. It's a long conversation, but but I would say that you could you could you could break it down to two or three critical components. Where at the end of the day, there's still a housing shortage. Period. End of story. And it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. And in the when I say getting worse, in the markets where population trends and migration is going to. It means that although we may have, and you see different numbers from three and a half million to six and a half million and this whole shortage game around how much lack of supply is there. But if you actually look at the areas of where the migration trends are, are going to, when you look at the Southeast, you know, when you look at Charleston, Myrtle Beach, Atlanta, Huntsville, Austin, Dallas, Phoenix, except when you start looking at these, um, the shortages are that much greater um, uh, when you look out on those trends. And so- What's happened, though, um, with the interest rates moving is that costs have not really come down. So as your interest rates go up, the cost to build ultimately as either even if it's staying the same in some markets and even if it's trending down, interest rates went up so fast and so dramatically that your minimum threshold for returns to do development, to build, to develop um, has created such an unbelievable what they're calling inversion where my going in cap rate um, ultimately is I'm, I'm generating less than it is to borrow money. So right. how do I justify getting into it? So that's halting the ability of delivering new supply. So so now we have a supply issue. We have a cost issue uh, relative to development costs and cost of funds to borrow. Now, the third component, and then I'll finish here, is 
is then you look at the profile of the resident. Right. So if the profile, what, what, what didn't, when we first spoke in December of uh, November, December of 21, interest rates were still below three. Yeah. So the housing market boom was still going, pricing was rising, retail pricing was rising, but people could afford it. So imagine all of a sudden we got into the business before the rates went up. So yeah. it was like when the <laughs> rates went up and an interesting statistic over the last two years, when the first like three to four rates and, and this is public information, um, um, somewhere around 29 million people over a 120 day period um, were approved for a mortgage that no longer could afford the mortgage. So, so in an instant, we had not just millennials, not just retirees, not just young families that wanted the choice to rent, okay? We now had 29 million people overnight that now may have been forced into renting when they thought they were in a position to buy. So we've all seen the supply shortages issues with the retail market where resales are down because people can't sell their house and then buy something else. So we have this huge, huge, like, convergence of these factors that have prohibited um, not just build to rent, but multifamily. And what we thought was going to happen with the for sale, we can obviously see what's going on. A lot supply shortage. You see it in the headliners. Some of the some of the best performing public equities in the markets right now are still home builders. So yeah, that's where we Man, see so so those so are much... the trends that have occurred the last yeah. couple of years. Yeah, no, it's 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 there's like we talked about there we could spend an hour talking about housing and, right. and multi versus build to rent. But we talked about the audience of managers and some of the mm -hmm. things that you hit on to just to reinforce, to close that point. Yeah. The importance of team, the importance of culture. Um, and the second, maybe the third time around for you investing in that. So when you had those meetings with institutional JV capital, yep. you could show them your team and let That's your right. team sell. Let that's your team right. demonstrate their expertise. I think that's a great takeaway. Absolutely. Now we we'll talk a little bit more about these drivers. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but COVID just accelerated where people wanted to be. They did. No yeah. question. So, I mean, no question. South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Arizona, Texas. It, it wasn't just, you know, the consequences of COVID. It was like that just told the couple, you know, we always wanted to live closer to where we grew up. Let's just right. leave New York. Let's leave right. Illinois. You know, those are great places to live too. But, but so now we got to find a place to live. That's and, right. oh, That's now right. rates are at five, six, seven percent to get that mortgage. Maybe we rent for a bit, but That's we right. don't just want to rent in any community. We want amenities. We want hmm. good schools. We want access to jobs. Man, you should hire me. I think I might be able to give you <laughs> give yeah. your pitch. I could be wrong, though. I mean, well, what I want to now shift and talk about, Jason, is the investor side of this. Because yep. for the last 10, 15 years, it was multi, multi, multi. Yep. Get into a multifamily REIT. Get into a multifamily private equity fund. And you saw so many yep. strategies come out. Now, Which is still a great asset class. There's no right, doubt. Yes. Right. Absolutely. No. Nothing against it. A lot of, yep. a lot of friends in multifamily. And that will come back. But I want to talk about the economics, the, the unit economics mm -hmm. of build to rent, because there's sure. a premium there yeah. that a lot of there people don't, don't understand from the standpoint of now I'm putting my investor hat on. Yep. Now I'm putting my head of research manager due diligence hat on. And I'm saying I still want exposure to that macro theme. That's right. I still want exposure to the undersupply of housing. Right. Is there another way to play this? That's right. 
And so. that's a great question because that's what managers and investors are. That, that is what they're asking and what yeah. they're so inquisitive about. And there are um, there, there are four um, data points about build to rent relative to multifamily that has made every manager slash investor ask the question um, further, how do I get into build to rent? And is this ultimately there? There are still challenges to build to rent. We can talk through that. No, oh, sure. Obstacles. But if you look at some of the fundamentals of built to rent, I mean, imagine for a quick second if you're looking at net rentable square feet, um, and even though your density goes down, you know, I always use the example we had a 244 unit multi deal, average square foot of 850 feet, I think it was, and then we converted it to 186 townhomes, and they were each 1,250 square feet. So. My density went down, my rentable square feet up went somewhere around 20,000 feet. I got, so so imagine um, I have now net rentable square feet a little bit higher. My cost to, to construct at the time um, went from commercial code to residential code. So now you look at cost and you go, okay, if my cost is 20 to 30% less on a per square foot basis for the vertical. So hold on. I have more rentable square feet. I have less cost. And people are spending more money per square foot for a home versus an apartment. So now all of a sudden I have a rent premium for the same square footage. It costs lower to build it, less to build it, excuse me. Um, And ready for this, um, the renter profile, the demographic of a renter of that house is making more money, has better credit, and the weighted average lease term is three instead of one for an apartment. If you think about it, your investor hat on, and you match those up, is it five out of 10? Is it six out of 10? Is it is it nine out of 10 times? It's better. I can tell you this. It absolutely makes everyone head scratch and say, okay, how do we get into it? And that's ultimately where, where, where I see the, the, the core of build to rent is a derivative of multifamily with those five critical pieces that make build to rent so attractive uh, to the investor and to the manager. Yeah, so that's a great segue. Um, I'm trying to get exposure to, to let's say, resi- residential housing. I believe in this argument that, you know, Resi has uh, a lot of growth due to all the macro uh, forces we talked about. But just like multifamily, you can't paint the entire space with a broad brush. That's right. There's different subcategories yes. within multi. So let's start maybe <laughs> by breaking down kind of now that build to rent is becoming more, I want to say institutional, but it's becoming it yep. something that is acceptable to institutions. They're, you're, you're finding That's these right. JV opportunities. Um, can we just spend a second and talk about the categories of build yep. to rent? Great question. Great question. So um, there is some confusion around it. Um, you'll hear um, some some say, and, and, and this isn't like a, a right or wrong statement. It's just, hey, I've been in built to rent since 2012 in Phoenix. And so you look at the asset class in 2012, and it's horizontal one-story apartments that you hear about the horizontal apartments in built to rent, in my opinion, confused. And so um, um, is a built to rent community, single family detached homes exclusively. Um, now we're realizing over the last two years that no, um, townhomes um, in a more urban setting, higher density 
actually also qualifies. And, and so what's interesting there is, is that now there are um, in a master plan for sale community, you have a pod that is sold by the for sale guy, right? That says, take these 80 units. And now is that built to rent? And so the interesting part about what you're saying, um, and then you just said there's there's classifications of multi, there's A, B, C, D, right? Like you right. say, right? Yeah. It's, and it, and I and the reason right. I'm asking this is because like, I live right. in a, a bedroom community of Atlanta. That's right. Yep. Good luck trying to get a multifamily project approved through our <laughs> zoning right. and, and building committee, much less yes. the city council. There's, su- there's such a nimbyism now that's taken hold in certain parts of the country Very hard. Yes. where it is hard to develop. Very hard. Very hard. And that's a whole nother macro. It's education. That, that, that's right. Yeah. And so, so this whole build to rent uh, category Yep. Where, look, people want parks and neighborhoods and walkability and good schools and access to jobs and all this type of stuff. But then you have a developer walk in and say, okay, I'm going to do 150 townhomes. And it's like, nope. So I'm just bringing that up for argument's sake, really, because I'd love to ask you, how does Trilogy navigate in these markets? How do you figure out what's the right product type? There are the different categories. There's yep. a lot of nuance. There's a lot of nuance. And it's interesting. We've made we've made um um we've made some bets um in this and that um I was literally just meeting with with, with a a felt you know, I'll call him a fellow developer slash general contractor earlier today. And and what was interesting is is that we actually believe, uh, Andres, that that the that the that the renter profile of any particular market actually defines the product type to build. So if I'm in Augusta, Georgia, um, or if I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, or if I'm in Naples, Florida, or Dallas, Texas, a 2,200 square foot, two car garage on a 60 foot lot does not work in all five of those areas. I'm not saying in certain areas of Charleston or certain areas. I'm just saying, depending on the meets and bounds and the latitude and longitude of where that site is. Yeah. The the one three why CoStar does such a good job with multi is one three and five mile radius of who's going to be there, what's there, why they're there. So what's interesting about your question that 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 literally there's two parts to this is if you and I say together a three story walk up in suburban Atlanta, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You you know that it's three story and there's around thirty six to fifty two units and it's this like you could tell me. You could visualize what it looks like, put aside the facade around it, you know, put aside the amenities. But if I said there's a build to rent community in the same in the same area, you would not mentally know what it is. You'd Mm -hmm. have to go look at it because there is no consistent. I can't hire a feasibility study expert to tell me that on the third floor, if you build a balcony, you're getting 25 bucks more in rent. There's nothing like that. So now what's happening is you have to design product that and here it is create community. Mm. You said something interesting about the bedroom community. You said some interesting about, I want to now go find a house. I'm going to go rent for a while. Here's the problem. This to me is literally why trilogy. I'm so passionate about this point is that um, when I, my, my, in, in my first series of homes that I had with a young family, et cetera, on my block, I knew who the renter was. I owned my house and the people on my street. And I know you hopefully shaking your head. Yes. You know, yours. And the problem with the renter on your street is that they are not, they are seen as the renter on the street. It is different. 
There is a social component to build to rent that I think over the next 10 years is going to fundamentally change the way that people view your point about municipalities. And they start to understand that people are making a choice to rent, not that they have to, but that they want to. And from that, put aside cost, put aside maintenance-free lifestyle, put aside. Now, all of a sudden, rather than on the street of homeowners, there's a renter. Now on a street, we all rent. We all are seeking community. We are all seeking the dog park and the pool and the tennis court and the rest of it. How do you create community is where value comes. So is it, is it, and so our, our community is called REV, R-E-V-E, which is the French word for dream. Okay. Okay. So how do you dream what your community is going to look like in Charleston on the creek bed of the marsh and the dog park and the, and the barbecue and all the things that go with that? And then what fixtures inside make you so that community space and how you create. And that's where, when we go to sell a property, when they do a tenant interview, they're going to say, why have you been here for four years? And they're going to, and what we hope they say is because of the community that I live in, they care about what this place means. And it feels like home because if you ask on an apartment side, it's not home. I'm not saying it's not their home, but typically it's viewed as transient, which is why municipalities, they don't like rentals because they're not investing in the community. Right. So like, and all of a sudden, if you can sit there and justify why did we get the first um, Bill Trent community in Powder Springs? Why? Because they first said no. And then when they realized that, and my comment to them was this, you have a 28-year-old, young family, two kids, they want to buy a $450,000 house in Powder Springs. And today, you approve that neighborhood for sale, and they now can't afford. It's the same family coming in. And now you got them for the next three to five years. Isn't that what you want? You want them here. They now just can't afford to be here. So how do you create a bunch of, of those families or a bunch of, you know, whatever the market is in the profile? Sure. And that to me, I'm, I, I'm just, and, and I think people are realizing it's not just the investment. The investment has to work. But if you can create that community, the value of that, of that investment is so much greater uh, for all the reasons I just said. I think you can tell them a little bit. I get a little bit excited about it. Yeah, that no, is, I mean, look, you have to you pumped. have to believe and you have to be passionate about it. Um, you know, as I think about the stuff you're talking about as a as a homeowner and, you know, to those that aren't from the metro Atlanta areas, re- referring to Powder Springs, Georgia, which is a, a bedroom community west west kind of north of Atlanta, um, actually not far from from where I live. So so I, I can resonate with what you're describing because talking to young young professionals or folks that want to live outside of Atlanta for examples like this in many metro areas they're just priced out like they, right. they and and yet sometimes i don't know that they're fully informed about their options right because they mm. say well we can't afford to buy it's like it's well but you know if there were other other alternatives so so let's talk about the you know we 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 have the investor cap on here i'm asking how do you pick these markets how sure. do you you know i know every market's different and the yep. product you would deliver or develop and deliver in Augusta, Georgia is going to be different for a specific yep. market in say Metro Phoenix, yep. but there has to be sort of a, a, a start for what your, what are the criteria? Yep. Can, you, can you walk like, it, through what that is? I sure can. Yeah. It's a great question too. I mean, and it's not really that much different than really any asset class, how it grows. You know, it's like where residents, you know, come, yeah. you then need to support it with service retail that then, you need to service it with office that then is a place to work that then you service with hospitality and restaurants to, so it's like, 
it all grows very similarly. And, you know, when we first started the business, it all was about the data and it was all about migration trends. It was all about demographics. It was all about. And so we've gotten interestingly at the end of the day, also location, 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 Um, you know, the fundamentals there, but you know, we have, uh, we have um, what we like to call internally and whether or not it's proprietary or not um, we, we haven't seen it used the way that we do it, where we're taking a multitude of data sources, some proprietary, some open market like CoStar and Burns and Zonda and, and really good multi and build to rent data supplemented by some AI that that gives us a viewpoint of what we call the renter persona. If you're familiar with the technology space, and I know you're fintech, yeah. you have the user persona of yep. who's using our technology. We call it a renter persona where we literally will name the renter. Here's Sally and Matt and two kids and works at Boeing. This is Charleston. Yeah. Works at Boeing and the look. And we we take all the data and then build the renter persona around that particular location and market. And then from there, now what does the the does the product what how do we build a product and select a product um, that delivers to that renter persona? And so that process um starts with the individual address. Um, and then goes, that's obviously at the micro level. At the macro level, we continually on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis review basic data sets that continue to inform what is supply, what is demand, who's moving where. It's funny. Some of the best data is just get your U-Haul report and it'll tell you exactly where everyone's moving to. <laughs> where people are going. And well, everyone I, laughs at that, but yeah. Yeah, I know it's so true. But But I think you raise a good point, which is it's very easy in these podcasts to talk like themes and ask the manager, which I, I love to interview managers um, and do these, but it's very easy. And I listen to a lot of other podcasters like talk macro. It's like, oh, people are going into private credit. But there's so much that could be learned from mm-hmm. asking about, let's just let's just run on Charleston for a second. Sure. You're sitting in, you know, in 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 Alpharetta, Georgia, and you say, okay, we want to we want to do build to rent. That's the mandate. That's the strategy. We like South Carolina. We yep. like specific markets in South Carolina. Would you just walk me through how how does that manifest itself at your organization? Like, where does that piece of land come on your radar? Mm. Then where do you start? Like, yep. I know this is a little bit more in the in the weeds, but I think it's informative as to all the decisions and trade-offs and markets. You're going to spend time in South Carolina. You can't be spending as much time in you know, Arizona. I mean, it's only so many hours and so many people, right? So yep. I'm just curious. Yeah, walk us through that. It's um, really, it, it's great. I mean, um, so assuming we walk through the process to determine that Charleston has all the fundamentals, sure, population growth, yep. employment growth, um, demographic trends, the the the, the right um, people, because there are parts, for instance, of South Carolina. I graduated from the University of South Carolina, Columbia. So there are parts of South Carolina, upstate, the lower state, you know, where um, too rural or too urban, yeah. um, too coastal for what you you're know. doing. That's yeah. right. So just not a fit. So so as we identified areas and suburbs of the city of Charleston um, being not a lot of land and the land only goes one direction and the rest is water. And so it heads up 26 and it goes into Somerville and everywhere in between there, you have all these employment centers across there. So to your point, we know in a corridor, much like any other real estate investor or manager that will look, 
Once we determine what that corridor looks like, it's three things. It's fairly basic. Um, There's brokers, there's sellers, there's builders. And so sellers being the landowners themselves. And, and, you know, there's nothing like boots on the ground. I mean, the brokerage network gives you a lot of insight as to what's happening with trends. Of You start seeing sellers, you start to understand these are areas. It's either distressed and they're getting out or it's people are coming in and now all of a sudden people want to reap that. So um, our land acquisition managers, we have actually by region, we are five of them um, on um, our t- internal team um, that cover the Southeast. We have one specifically that covers um, um, the mid and lower part of Texas. We have one that covers Arizona and Colorado. We've got, you know, a team um, that covers the Southeast. And so what's interesting to that point is, is that they understand those markets very, very well and yeah. have average of 15 to 20 years experience in market, um, either as previous developers on the investment sales side, um, on the land act side for on the builders. So it's given us a really, really interesting insight after the identification of a site, how we go through our, our internal proprietary investment process, uh, investment committee process to determine, are we going to make an offer and are we going to move forward? Right. Because then the development I mean, the the pre-development, the development and the whole other side of your business then has to kind of kick in. But let's just say you identify that specific market. Like I said, we're picking on, you know, Charleston. I know you guys do it from Arizona to Georgia and 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 everything in between. And we could talk about Texas, you know, or any number of other markets. But we 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 hone in on Charleston. You find that corridor. You learn about a property or or a, a, a parcel. Yep, and you say, okay, it's checking boxes, checking boxes, checking boxes. Then you get to, okay, person there says, okay, there's something interesting. What does the yep. timing look like? Yeah, because so, all the while we've yep. talked about in this show, like people are looking for a place to live. People are looking for yep the great schools and the good jobs and the right yep. price point. You yep. know, at some point it's like coming soon. When does that sign go up? Like I'm know yep. I'm throwing a lot at you, but I just think. Like I said, it's easy to say, oh, he's a developer. They do build to rent, but there's so much that goes into it. And that yeah. that's the guy that gets the fund allocation is the guy, I think, that can like truly demonstrate yep. from A to Z. We yep. nail every piece of it along the path. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good point. I mean, put put aside the process of identifying the site and then ultimately getting it under contract. And that process can take anywhere from 30 days literally to six to nine to 12 months just depends on how difficult the seller, how difficult the contract negotiation is, et cetera. But to your point, once the contract is signed and the amount of work that's gone in it up to that, we've done rough order magnitude pricing um, for the horizontal. This is literally leading up to, um, we have internal market data of Charleston now because we're building there. We know cost. We have builder relationships. We know cost. So We've done rough order magnitude pricing across all of it. Um, we've got a pre-development budget. We've got proposals from um, all the third parties, engineers, et cetera. And so now, boom, it go. And your contract, generally, if it's a raw piece of land that is not entitled, is not zoned, is not permitted, and you're starting from, quote, unquote, zero, um, in Charleston specifically, 18 to 24 months before you put a shovel in the ground? Interesting. Wow. Yep. Before you put a shovel in the ground. Yeah, now you've got say. another eighteen months before you deliver a home, right? And here's the question: I know you probably yep. have gotten a hundred times project costs. Yep. I, you know, I'm I'm working on a small real estate project right now with a couple of partners, and everybody we talk to is like, costs have just gone through the roof. 
Yeah. It's just, you know, it's impossible. The pipeline, you know, for all these uh, subs and, you know, good subs, right? Good yep. general conscience. It's, they're just busier than ever. That's right. How with, with 24 months to yep. put a shovel in the ground and then you have yep. just costs and, and then you've got institutional that- capital like that. Hey, we put in money to work, but we want to yep. see, you know, everybody wants liquidity. Everybody wants money and distributions yeah. yesterday. There's a lot to manage, but how do you, how do you think about the costs uh, so, side of this whole thing in this environment? Yeah. It's funny. Um, from, from the end of 21 started in 21 kind of mid early 21 through really 23. I mean, cost went absolutely parabolic. And so to your point, it also wasn't just the interest rate environment that quote scared investors away. It was the cost to it's, perfect question of because cost was so unknown and it was going so crazy, supply chain issues, all the issues we're having globally. Um, what ended up ultimately happening in our modeling is that um, good news is, is that we were able to, first off, relative basis between earnest money, engineering, and pursuit cost. You can fix your pre-development budget from the time you sign a contract to when you close, there are a series of steps during that contract where you understand what your risk profile is. If you get to the zoning is approved, now we know what we're building. You do a price check as an example, and all of a sudden the costs have gone up another 15%. I'm making the number up. Sure. You have checks and balances along the way prior to you closing that gives you the ability of at least identifying what your sunk cost could be and then giving you at checkpoints along the way to understand how costs are going to look. Part yeah. one. Part two is every one of our underwriting model, the underwriting model is is reset at every point in that process as well. But when we go under contract, if we see, we actually get pricing locally and getting advice back from them as to what do you see as the effective inflationary trends over the next 12 months, the next 18 months, we build that into our model so that we know that along the way, if they tell us it's a buck a foot, and we've got over the next year, let's say, an eight percent inflation that they that they expect. We build in a dollar eight as an example, plus the checkpoints along the way and contingency. So it is art and science combined. It's like you, we put the guardrails in that process to protect, so that I know what our downside is, and then you're you're communicating with capital all along the way because their investment parameters are changing at the same time. So that's how we get through that process now. What's interesting about 2024, it started in 23, but 2024, what's interesting is the buy box is a little different because now we are making it conditioned. We're seeing deals now that are permit ready. So all that 24 months is over. They went through it. It's permit ready. And I'm just underwriting a price and cost to now put a shovel in the ground 30 days after I close. So the profile is changing somewhat and the deal flow is looking a little different as well. Well, and you, 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 talked about at the beginning of the interview the you know the, the difference between 22 and 23 for trilogy 22 yes. was about building the team putting processes in place having the operational infrastructure 23 was a lot of defense right? right um and and like you said defense does win championships so now we're in 24 yep. we're kind of halfway through the the first quarter yep um we've seen a little bit of talk from the fed about Hey, maybe we're not going to move rates as quickly as the market anticipated. Yeah, yeah. wish we did this um, three days ago, not not today. Right. right. We we sit here in mid February, and and um, it's it's you know it's it's interesting to see the gyrations um, 
of what is what is going to happen with the economy. I know some people price in that there's going to be a recession or already is. Depends. It depends on so many things and right. and depending on what you're doing in, in the market as well. But I want to ask you, we talked about the manager, one part of this interview, some of the best practices. You just gave insights as um, terms of projects and the investor. How do we look at Trilogy? Now I want to ask you, when you think about 24 going forward, you had the JV. I'm sure you still, like most astute managers, are always talking to capital. But what other things have developed as you think about 24, 25 with respect to build to rent? Are there new investors trying to get into this space? Sure. Um, is it is it the same old faces that are kind of out there looking for for deals and projects? Um, I'm, I'm just question. curious what what you've observed and how you've positioned Trilogy. Sure. As a result. Sure. I mean, um, um, I would say that um, foreign and domestic capital, the list continues to grow. So um, there are new entrants into the market um, literally on a daily basis. Um, the appetite for the asset class continues to grow. It's such a young, young asset class. I always liken it when I'm at the IMN conference for Built to Rent versus the NMHC conference for multifamily. It's like it, 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 the maturity of multifamily in the in the resources and the people and how they do it, and then the the lack of an excitement in Built to Rent and some lack of stuff. You know, you'll see fix and flips and you'll see Built to Rent at, at the same conference because there's still this this convergence of of figuring it out still right yeah. so it's like um and so everyone continues to come into it and so for us the evolution has been continue um, a lot of um i'd say close to 50% of the capital um that we're looking at today is actually outside the US so it sits in Mexico it sits in Madrid/Spain it sits in in um in Japan it sits so we're talking to those types of investors that are coming into the states and want exposure to this asset class. But likewise, um, it takes time and, and a track record to become a fund manager. Um, and so we've partnered with other fund managers to do a certain series of deals. And so, you know, we're now evolving. So in 2024, a couple of weeks ago, we launched, we were asked to join as a co-manager of a first BTR fund. So we have a $60 million BTR fund that was launched a couple of weeks ago with a fund manager out of Seattle called Pinnacle Partners. And interesting. They have a very successful track record. So so it's given us an opportunity to step into that space. Yeah. And find new new partners. Find and, new avenues and, and, of capital, and, yeah, leverage how they raise capital. It's different than the way I do it. So it's really finding best practices. And everyone is really just trying to team up to figure out the right way to, to raise capital. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Like I said at the beginning of the show, um, you, you you will spend as an investment manager time building the team, investing, deploying, and doing deals, and also, um, you know, raising capital. And I think you've you've touched on all three of those today um, in the conversation. As we wrap up, I, I, had, I have one or two final questions. One is, sure. what are some of the biggest as this asset class continues to mature? It's it's you know, if it's nascent, I don't know if that's what you'd call it. But as it matures, what are some of the most misunderstood aspects of it? Like you have your bullhorn here um, and and you have sure. a chance to sort of talk about learning and education. You talked about the city council and the development 
and some of the challenges and roadblocks you run into from municipalities. But what are what are some of the misconceptions about the space? Um, sure, I, I'd say I'd say three critical misconceptions. Um, one of which is um, that it is its own asset class. Um, it is not single family rentals. Um, and it, it is not um, multifamily. So it has characteristics of both, um, but ultimately stands on its own. And that is an education and an explanation every time. So as the market matures and learns that it is different, um, it will um, help in the process of getting investors educated to put money in. That that yeah. to me, actually, I would even say one, two or three. That is the hardest part about build to rent. And when you supplement that with what product are you building to address build to the, the, the resident, that is the second piece where, um, well, if you're not building single family detached and it's not, is it really built to rent? Because I see these horizontal quote apartments and I see this and I see that. So there's a misconception about what the product type is and how it applies to the resident. And so to me, it's all opportunity. If we can educate first, get the yeah. right team in place. So those are the two biggest um, obstacles right now to where can you justify a 1,350 square foot, three bed, two and a half bath townhome with a garage and a yard with amenities? Can you justify a rental premium over a 1,350 square foot, three bed, two bath apartment with amenities? Simple question. And the eye is in the market and the beholder. And that is that is the problem in that it's not like if I ask you, like in Metro Atlanta, name for me one built to rent community. Just tell me one. Yeah. You couldn't. No. Okay. No. And so I have a hard time and I'm in business. So yeah. it's like, so, but if you said, what's the nearest multi? You'd say, yeah, there's a post up the street. We've got Amblin over there. We got four. Like it's, it, it, it it's more widely accepted. So that is the underlying challenge is, is why is built to rent part three to those miscon things you asked me is, is one, two, now three is how do you differentiate when you don't have a lot of comps and they haven't traded a bunch in the market and you're sitting there going, no, trust me, watch when we build what's going to happen. And finally, you're starting to see in 23 and now into 24, like you are getting rent premiums. So yeah. people will pay a little more to have a garage. And you always say, will you at an apartment pay an extra 200 bucks to have your own garage across the street? Everyone goes, of course we would. So I'm like, so why can we not charge another 200 bucks in rent right. when the garage is attached to the house? Yeah. And it's like, okay. you know. And so we, education is the most important thing there. That's fascinating. And lastly, I think this one hits on something that I would, I, I would think a lot of people can resonate with, and that's that's community, right? Mm -hmm. So, what you talked about with respect to and something you showed a lot of passion and 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 a commitment to at Trilogy is building that community, building your own brand. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to what you just said, which is those multifamily developer owners, right? They've built that's a right. brand, like to pick right. a couple of those names. Yep. So, so with that, and then looking ahead into twenty four and beyond, what along the lines of that community experience that you want to deliver mm -hmm. to the resident, but mm -hmm. then a stakeholder in this is also your investor. How yep. do you, how do you think building the community ultimately is going to impact, you know, the bottom line? Um, sure. Cause if you have satisfied, happy residents, they're staying for, like you said, three years or, or more. That's right. Um, how does that exactly. translate flow through to your, to your LP stakeholder? 
You know, it's interesting. Um, um, quality built, quality construction, quality fixtures, and, and a quality home that, to your point about A, B, C, and D, Class A apartments with the investment in furniture fixtures, build type, et cetera, creates a longer term asset. So, so quality homes are no different than quality hotels, quality, whatever you want to build. So the first and foremost is a quality built product with relevant um, furniture, fixtures, and equipment, you know, in that, in that, I don't literally mean a couch. I mean, sure. From appliances to fixtures, to lighting, et cetera. And um, making sure that we understand the renter persona in market so that if this is a dog friendly, outdoor living, um, park space driven, that we are, it's not just about a pool and a clubhouse. It is yeah. about what are the spaces that create community that your typical home buyer um, or renter would want in order to create community in that environment. Yeah. So it's interesting. It could be a boardwalk with a few park benches that go through, you know, the park area. It, it, it could be a fenced dog park supplemented with child's place. And it really does depend on that renter persona. And so what we want for Rev and for Trilogy, Rev Communities, what we want is if you're in Austin or if you're in Augusta or if you're in, in, that that they will know that if I'm in a Rev community, that they have had the attention of building community. Um, I'm not just a renter. I'm not transient. I actually, this is my home and I'm raising my family here or I'm retiring here or whatever. And there is no differentiator between owning and renting and that that community has been set. So that's our objective. That's fascinating. Um, really glad that uh, we could spend some time today here on the ATL Alts podcast, Jason. Yeah, um, I, I thought it was really an enlightening uh, conversation. Really excited about the growth at your organization. Any any organization that's worth its salt, um, I'd say this about a team as well, is going to go through its challenges, going to go through those ups and downs, and the market certainly has delivered those. Um, yeah. And those that come through that um, probably learn a lot more about their organization, um, you know, for it uh, than than they would if you know it was it was all pie in the sky. So. So with that, Jason, we'll wrap up. I want to thank you, uh, Jason Joseph, managing partner and CEO. Um, he leads the Trilogy Investment Company, uh, executive oversight, establishing obviously the investment strategy and and leading the national expansion of, of the Build to Rent platform. Thank you for joining me today on the ATL Alts podcast. Thanks, my friend. Have a great day, man. Take care, Jason. Bye now.